All right, there we go. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Team here, and this is BXJS Weekly, episode 136, bringing you all the best JavaScript news of the week in a podcast form. And uh, yeah, today we got a pretty short one, actually. There's not really that many articles or even getting started tutorials for whatever reason, but we do have quite a few pretty damn big releases this week around, so we are going to talk about those in uh, quite some detail. Anyway, as usual, the first section of the week is getting started. We got uh, two articles here. The first one is building an uh, authenticated Jamstack app with Next.js, Airtable, Tailwind CSS, and Auth0. So this is, as usual, the article from the Auth0 guys. If you ever see Auth0 anywhere, it's usually their own articles, which tend to be really good, but, you know, the caveat is... They add the Oath Zero at the very end because, of course, they want to promote that, which not saying anything like I haven't actually tried them, so don't really have an opinion about that. But their articles tend to be really, really good on the other ends. So this one is a yeah, pretty simple app that is built with an XJS used for front end as well as API routes with serverless functions and then Airtable as a database for storing data and accessing it and Auth0 for authentication and Tailwind for some basic styling. There's also a YouTube video if you want to go through it this way. It's, yeah, it's a nice article, as I said, you know, pretty nice tutorial on the whole thing. Uh, If you are curious about this kind of stack, if you wanted to build something like this, do check it out. It's very extensive, very large, very detailed. Um, Again, as I said, you know, their articles usually tend to be pretty damn good. So if that sounds interesting, do check it out. Hey, Mr. Isabel, welcome to the stream. Hey, Manuel, welcome to the stream. All right, and the next article we got here is understanding TypeScript generics. So this is for all of you TypeScript fans out there or maybe, you know, whoever wants to learn TypeScript. Generics is one of those things that is incredibly powerful but can be incredibly confusing at first, especially when you only, you know, started doing the typings and... Then you see this T thing and you're like, what the hell does that mean? How does this work and how do I use it, right? I remember, like, I don't, I haven't learned uh, generics in TypeScript. I think my first encounter with them was, where was it? Was it C Sharp or something? But I was immensely confused by the whole thing. Like, what the hell is going on? Why do I need this? Why don't I just type it? Maybe it was C++. Yes, that is a good point. I don't remember, honestly, where I first encountered them. But I remember it took me like a year or something to figure out, finally figure out how the hell does it work and why do you need that. Uh, This article does a really good job of explaining what generics are, how do they work, what are the use cases, and how do you actually use them with TypeScript specifically, which is uh, really cool. So if you're learning TypeScript and you're confused about generics, uh, set out, I don't know, probably an hour of your time, if not more, because this article is very big and very detailed. But it does cover just about everything you want to know about generics uh, to get started, basically. So uh, there we go. Uh, Hey, Aaron, welcome to the stream. Uh, It's going pretty good. Hope you're doing well, uh, too. Uh, Abziz, welcome to the stream. Uh, And PL Better, welcome to the stream. All right, this is it for the getting started section. Uh, As I said, you know, pretty small this time around. Now we got articles and news. We got only two of them here. The first one is... Well, I put it in the article, but it's more of a very short thing or sort of discussion, I guess. Uh, The article from Dr. Axel Rauschmeier uh, titled Writing JavaScript Tools in Other Languages, a New Trend. Uh, We already discussed this, um, I think, last time, right? Uh, And because there was one of the new tools written. Yeah, I think RSLint was covered last time, right? 
And uh, this is basically the article that gathers all the current JavaScript tools built in other languages, such as ESBuild that was built in Go, SVC that is built in Rust, Google Closure Compiler, which is probably one of the oldest ones that was built in Java. And, you know, it's still, I think it's still around and kicking. Like, I don't know how, how, I haven't used it in ages, to be honest, but I think it's still, yeah, it's still updated. Four days ago, last commit. Seems like it's relatively uh, well maintained. But I mean, again, you know, this is a Google tool, so they're probably using it internally. And then there's RSLint in Rust, Flow in OCaml, which is also a relatively old project, DPrint in Rust, which is used in Deno, for example. Uh, we got Fastnode Manager, which is something I haven't actually heard about before. Uh, we got Volta, which is the, again, node manager written in Rust. And then there is a bit of a discussion going, you know, on uh, what are the apps, why writes JavaScript tooling in other languages and why use JavaScript if you write everything in other languages. I think, like, as I said, you know, last time, I think this is a really cool trend that we're getting tools um, for JavaScript written in other languages because, well, there's a lot of advantages to that, right? So the, the compiled binaries is one, is like having one binary that does everything you want is incredibly cool and then you can just download it and use it. And then the speed obviously is is amazing thing. Like, right, JavaScript is fast. Like, yeah, if you compare it to, well, most of the other interpreted languages is gonna be really, really fast, but it's not as fast as something like Rust, for example, it never will be. It's just not not a thing, right? So you can make a build tool that's going to be like three times faster or maybe even more in Go or Rust and just beat JavaScript at every possible metric, essentially, right? And uh, I do welcome changes like this, to be honest. <laughs> uh, many languages make it easier to parallelize code. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is also the uh, point, you know, we only got workers in JavaScript quite recently and they weren't... I mean, they're still not that widespread and have very limited use cases, while other languages basically have baked in parallelization, like Golang with uh, the um, CSP pattern, right? So it's like, yeah, those things can be a lot easier. Anyway, I think this is a really, really neat trend that we're seeing, and I, I personally welcome more tooling like this. Uh, again, especially, you know, stuff like ESBuild that would like a... Purely native web pack would be a very interesting thing to see. Like, I don't know if we're going to get, like, if ESBuild will eventually evolve into something like this or if we're going to get something different. But, uh, yes, I personally welcome this trend. And uh, what do you guys think? Let me know what you think in chat or in comments to the video. I would be curious to hear your thoughts. Do you think that might be bad for JavaScript somehow? Like, I honestly, I tried to find some negative, but I, you know, I couldn't. Like, the only negative that I can see is that it might be harder for JavaScript developers to contribute back to those tools because they are not in JavaScript and you either have to learn the other language or uh, basically just, you know, use it as is, which is, I guess, a bit limiting, but I wouldn't say that this is a major problem and learning other languages can be really fun. So there we go. Let me have a look at the chat. Um, hey, Iron Z, uh, everything is good. I hope you're doing good as well. Hey, Marina, welcome to the stream. Hi, Nitsan, welcome to the stream. Um, yes, build is amazingly fast. Okay, cool. I probably should try it at streams at some point because it seems like an incredibly uh, helpful and nice tool because I only like tried it a couple of times just to play around with it, but haven't actually built any um, real projects with it or even the toy projects that are relatively large. So it'll be interesting to try. Anyway, uh, next article we got here is evading defenses using Vue.js script gadgets. Uh, now this one is a bit weird. Uh, it's sort of 
deep dive into the vulnerabilities within view templating language specifically. So this deep dives into show how you can abuse view properties to actually execute different attacks starting from you know the pretty stupid code execution as in you know the script injections and go into stuff like xss and uh what else was there there was um yeah anyway so this is again you know this all assumes that basically the attacker could inject themselves into your templates which is you know if someone has access to your templates you're probably screwed anyway but nonetheless it's quite interesting to see that this is uh, considered to be like a real attack vector and it still persists in view 3 but i guess this is sort of the way that you designed i don't think the damage like the danger of this is too big because again you know this means that attacker first have to modify your templates and then your templates have to be executed on the client but the fact that this exists is yeah i mean i guess interesting uh, again, I don't think it's a super major, um, how how would I put it, super major issue for using Vue or the Game Stopper or whatever. Don't think so, but it's an interesting read uh, nonetheless. There's like some very curious obfuscation techniques that basically break the Vue templating completely, which is like uh, I guess most of them are you know kind of what are we, what do you expect, but some of them are a bit silly. Anyway, if you are curious about the vulnerabilities in uh, Vue.js templating, do check this one out. It's actually a pretty good write-up. Right, let me have a look at the chat. Uh, I don't think it will be bad. Maybe there could be API. The Go or Rust implementation could expose for customization. Uh, yeah, I mean, so this is the, the problem with the native tooling, right? It's like the in JavaScript, it's very easy to add plugins because it's a dynamic language and you can just require another module and there you go, there's your plugin, right? While Golang is purely statically compiled, so there is no way to make dynamic plugins at all unless you add interpreters. So like, for example, there's Traffic, which is an amazing... Uh, reverse proxy, right, which I use in quite a lot of my projects. It's written in Golang. It's extremely fast. And they recently added plugin system. Uh, the way they did it, they essentially added the Go interpreter. They packaged it inside of the traffic itself. So you write plugins in Golang and then they load this Golang and they interpret the plugin on the runtime, which, you know, it works, but it is not as fast as the Golang would be. So it's kind of defeating the purpose here. I don't know about the situation with Rust and dynamic loading. I'm guessing there is some mechanisms to do that. But uh, yeah, so this is like the plugins is definitely one of the things that is going to be a lot trickier to do in static languages or like the compiled languages rather than interpreted languages, right? But uh, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, learning another language. Oh, no, it's fun if you got the time for it. Uh, that's a very, very valid point. I uh, totally agree on that. Uh, like, you know, if you're just doing this for your work, then obviously you might not want to learn another language. But the thing is that, like, if you're doing this for work, then you most most often than not, you're just happy with whatever you got, right? So it's like very rarely you have uh, cases where, like, you say, okay, I'm going to go and extend this tool for our specific use case. Most of the time you just either build your own tool for work or you just... I don't know, use whatever there is and say, okay, we can only do X, Y, Z, right? But yeah, um, I tried Next.js with a theme UI. This shit is amazing. Absolutely. Next.js is freaking fantastic and I will not stop praising it. 
Okay, anyway, continuing, we are going to the tips, tricks, and bit-sized awesomeness section. Uh, we do have quite a few things here that are pretty cool. Uh, starting with the first one that is not so cool. So there has been a Webpack 5 release um, that um, we're going to talk about a bit later on in the releases section. But essentially, it's a new version of Webpack. And uh, since it's a major version, it does break quite a few things. And uh, Mr. Cindersaurus here, who is a quite prominent JavaScript developer and maintainer of hun literally hundreds of packages on NPM, all of them are pretty good. Um, complains basically about some of the changes that Webpack did with, uh, well, not so great migration path. So the core complaint is that um, Webpack 4 used to polyfill Node.js API, right? Which means that you can just write your package for Node.js and then Webpack will polyfill API wherever it's possible and your Node package will work seamlessly in the browser by just basically requiring it, right? This is no longer the case for Webpack 5. Essentially, it will not work. You have to manually include the polyfills, which means that whatever packages he did for Node.js will no longer work in browser with Webpack, which brings a whole bunch of different headaches. And uh, there's an issue in Webpack for tracking that. There's like a lot of them actually. And uh, yeah, it's like it's... I mean, I guess I know why they did it because that frees you, like, first of all, that you no longer include those polyfills by default, which means the bundle size is going to be a lot smaller and the execution time is going to be a lot faster. And that probably will work in like 95% of cases. But the other 5% of cases is, yeah, there's going to be, well, there's going to be some pain in, in basically addressing this. So you basically, you know, you, you can manually, of course, include the polyfills because they have it as a separate package. But that is basically up to you, the maintainer of a Webpack um, configuration, I guess, and probably as well the maintainer of the modules if you publish the pre-built packages. And uh, yeah, I can see how you can be disappointed in that change because if you maintain hundreds of packages, that means you will have to update the configs for all of them to address this issue. And that does not sound like fun, to be honest. <laughs> anyway, continuing, we got... Um, Pretty big write-up from Microsoft on uh, progressive web apps for Xbox One. This is like I, like the write-up itself is just a discussion of how you can actually build a progressive web app for Xbox. But the point here is that I didn't know Xbox One supported progressive web apps. So it turns out you can just take your progressive web app, you can just package it and publish it for the um, Xbox store and serve it as a proper app on Xbox, which is kind of damn cool. So now you know, and if you're curious, there's like a whole um, guide here on how to do that, what to keep in mind, TV sizes, screens, and so on, TVJS, which is apparently a bunch of helper libraries that help you to interact with the, you know, the TV buttons, the input, and so on and so forth. Like this is kind of insane, and um, I'm I'm curious. I'm really thinking about buying the new Xbox, like the Series X, uh, because it looks really cool. And you know, the Game Pass is one of the probably the best offers in gaming I've seen in consoles for a very long time. And uh, maybe if I get one, we should probably do a stream and try to build an Xbox app for it. <laughs> like that would be cool. That sounds like a very fun stream. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, continuing, we got uh, another thing from Microsoft. So it turns out Microsoft is planning to unify Outlook across platforms using web technologies. So they had this, uh, there was the Microsoft Ignite conference and they had a pretty big talk announced the evolution of Outlook, 
where they share the future that they are basically have in mind for Outlook. And it's actually going to be React app across all the platforms. So they're going to use React or React Native or, well, other subsets of React to build the Outlook versions and publish them for, well, literally all the platforms out there, starting from desktop and going to Mac, uh, universal platforms, as well as iOS and Android, which is uh, pretty damn cool. Like, if you tried the Outlook recently, it is so damn snappy. I'm seriously thinking about migrating from Google Mail to Outlook just because Google Mail is a sluggish piece of crap that, I mean, it's just infuriating how long it sometimes takes to load. Like, Outlook is just so damn fast in comparison. Like, it's just blowing my mind. It used to be the, you know, it used to be the other way around when um, Outlook used to be slow as hell. And then Gmail used to be very snappy and nice. And now it's like somehow the other way around. <laughs> like, I don't know how that works. Uh, the new Outlook on macOS is pretty sweet. I haven't actually tried the native apps in ages. Like I'm, uh, you know, you might know, like if you watch me constantly, you might know that I prefer the progressive app apps over everything else. So I typically just use the browser tabs for that. Uh, but I'm guessing since, you know, since they're saying they're going to use React for everything, I'm guessing the desktop app is going to be some sort of a native UI, essentially the native, um, what do you call it? Like not, probably not Electron, but something like Chromium, uh, what do you call it? Chromium, what is the Chromium Spotify? God damn it, Spotify desktop framework. What is the framework they use? Chromium, oh man, my brain. Chromium embedded framework, this is what I'm trying to say. Seth, right. So I'm guessing they're gonna be using something like that uh, because it's lighter than Electron and they probably don't need the whole Electron thing. Um, uh, have you looked at the React Native for Windows? Oh yeah, that is a thing, right? So they might be using something like React Native for Windows because they did. I remember, like, I know that it exists. I, I haven't tried it myself, but I remember reading that they released it for macOS as well. So maybe this is what they're going to be using for a desktop app. That is a very fair point. Like, this is probably going to work perfectly fine for all of their desktop apps. That is true. It's probably a lot lighter than uh, Chrome Embedded Framework. Yeah, that's probably what they're going to do. But anyway, this is like... Having someone as big as Microsoft backing React this much is uh, really cool because I don't know what's going to happen to Facebook in the next five to 10 years. Like it doesn't like, you know, as much as they are still raking a lot of money, but they are prepping all over the privacy and, and there's more and more like legislations around that. There's more and more governments looking at this. And I have a feeling Facebook is not going to survive too long if they keep doing that. But uh Having someone like Microsoft backing React and saying, hey, we're going to use that uh, is really cool because in the end, maybe we'll get a Microsoft backed React fork or something, <laughs> which is uh, sounds ridiculous, I know, but um, that's a possibility in my opinion. But anyway, this is, I think, a really, really cool. Continuing, uh, we got next thing. The uh, tiny thing here is titled the minus minus war spacebar semicolon hack to toggle multiple values with one custom property. So this is a CSS trick, or I guess the CSS vars trick that basically um, allows you to toggle multiple properties with one variable. And um, the idea is that the var function in CSS actually evaluates uh, the, f uh, okay, how do I explain it? So you, you can set the CSS variables, right? You typically set it to some whatever value and then you can use it with var function which 
falls back from specific variable to other default value if variable is not set. So the thing is that if you already defined a variable, it's considered to be set, so it doesn't work on these fallbacks, right? Well, the thing is that you can actually just define a variable with a white space, which is actually significant, or turns out it's significant. I didn't know that this is the way it works. And this var thing will be evaluated to actually uh, nothing if you set it to this way, right? And uh, it will fall back to whatever you have after it, which effectively makes it a toggle. There's obvious limitations for that, but uh, yeah, it's a really nice little trick. And uh, if you're using CSS a lot and you want to toggle some features, check this out. It seems like a pretty um, handy rule that I probably explained in a terrible way. <laughs> anyway, it's not that long. Just give it a read yourself and uh, check it out because it's a really neat trick. Okay, next thing we got here is announcement of Ionic View. So the Ionic framework now works with View and it shipped with View 3 under the hoods, uh, which is super nice. Again, you know, Ionic is this uh, mobile app framework that is sort of the blend of progressive app apps with native components, which uh, seems to be sort of the, um, what do you call it? successor of um, Apache Cordova, or I guess a more modern version of that. And uh, yeah, I've heard good things about it. So if you don't have an extremely complicated um, use case and you don't need some native performance, this usually works perfectly fine and it's amazingly easy to use as long as you are basically a web developer. So if you wanted to do this with Vue, do check it out. This is actually pretty damn cool. And apparently they can also now target Electron and Progressive web apps. That is, I, I didn't know that this was a thing. So you can actually build mobile app and desktop app and a progressive app app all with their tooling. That is kind of cool. Okay, maybe we should uh, do a deep dive into that. That sounds uh, like a nice, pretty nice tooling. And they already have a library of over 100 mobile UI components. I wonder how they scale those to the um, desktop and progressive app apps. That would be very interesting to see. Uh, use Ionic with Angular for iOS. Yeah, I mean, I've, we, I think we, I don't remember if I streamed it, but I did use the one of the early versions of Ionic with, what did they have? They have Angular, they have React, and they have, um, they ha I think they had their own thing back then. So it was the, the fork of Cordova, basically. It, it worked fine. Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, it's obviously like obvious web experience, which was okay-ish, especially on older phones, but... It was pretty cool. So it's it's really nice to see them develop it. Long live Vue. Well, Vue is an amazing framework. I already said that. I will say that more than once. It's really great. And for some use cases, I will still prefer it over everything else. Anyway, continuing, we got the last uh, tiny bit here that is titled Creating TypeScript Declarations from JavaScript and JSDoc. And it's a tiny tutorial that shows you how to use TypeScript to generate the TypeScript definitions from your existing JavaScript code. I personally did not know that was a thing, and that's honestly amazing. You literally just install the TypeScript, you define a very basic config, and it literally emits the declarations for TypeScript from your existing uh, JS code, uh, sorry, JS doc, which is uh, really damn cool. So if you're writing JavaScript and you wanted to publish your library for TypeScript users and allow them to use it uh, without any additional type definitions, then you can just do that, which seems to be pretty damn easy to do. Again, this assumes that you actually have the JSDoc declarations in your code, which uh, might not be the case for some people. But anyway, that's it for the tips, tricks, and bit-sized awesomeness. Now we are coming to the releases, and uh, we do have some very, very big things this week. 
As I said before, the first major release of the week is Webpack 5, which brings a whole ton of things. There's, again, since it's a major version, there are breaking, uh, like, bleh. there are breaking features, basically, that will, breaking changes is what I'm trying to say. Breaking features? No. Breaking changes that are gonna impact your build, so it's not an easy migration from Webpack 4. And um, so there's a sentence here that, for whatever reason, a lot of people on Hacker News and Reddit picked on, which just make makes my blood boil, which is just ridiculous. So... The sentence is as follows. Webpack 5 is released, but that doesn't mean it's done, bug-free or even feature complete. As with Webpack 4, we continue development by fixing problems or adding features. This was one thing, and the other thing uh, was it saying that basically, you know, try to upgrade, you might want to upgrade once or twice. And people read it as in like, hey, you know, Webpack is garbage. Why do they say to upgrade once or twice? Why is it like it's JavaScript ecosystem is bad? This is not what they're saying. Like, listen, I get it. You want to pick on JavaScript. Fine. You can hate on JavaScript all you want. But those people worked on this product for years. And it's amazing. Like the quality of the code is just insane. If you ever try to look through the code base, it's really easy to read. What they're saying here is not that the webpack is garbage and you will have to spend, you will have to npm install twice or thrice or whatever to make it work. No, 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 no. What they're saying is webpack ecosystem is so damn big that all the plugins that you use might not work with a new version because of the API service. Like, come on, it's not that hard to understand. It's just, it's just so painful to read those comments. I freaking hate it. Anyway, um, yeah, so <laughs> coming back to the webpack itself. Um, yes, so the, the, the support, like this is the problem with it, right? So this is sort of the advantage of it and the problem at the same time. Webpack has support for a ton of different combinations. Not just that, it also has support for a billion of different plugins that are written by third-party developers. And even though there's a new version of Webpack, there's no guarantee that all the existing plugins that you use will work with it. Like, come on. This thing is so complicated. It's basically a whole ecosystem that lives on its own right now, right? And of course, if you're not using it, if you never worked with Webpack, if you're not doing JavaScript, you will not know that. And it's a very easy thing to pick on, but it's just infuriating in my opinion. Anyway, coming back to the Webpack itself, um, the basic improvements here are improved build performance because they now use persistent caching. They now have improved long-term caching with better al algorithms and defaults. There's now improved bundle size with better tree shaking and code gen and improved compatibility with the web platform, as well as a bunch of other minor uh, things. The Another major thing for uh, in terms of features is the modules federation, which I think we already talked about before. So basically the gist is that you can now use, uh, or I guess unify multiple different builds into one Webpack config that would execute them separately and then merge it into one final build, which sounds incredibly powerful, but boy, do I not want to maintain a config like that. Um, anyway, if you are interested in this stuff, do check out the uh, release notes. Again, they are really extensive. There is a whole ton of things. There's a very big migration guide, a very detailed description of all the breaking changes. Incredible work on the documenting all of that. Again, you know, huge props to the team behind this. There was some uh, crazy work gone into this. And 
Man, I don't. I really don't want to read comments that saying, "Hey, it's still broken because it's JavaScript ecosystem." No, 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 no. Don't, don't even dare saying that. It's, it's, it actually already works. Like if you take Next.js, they already use Webpack five and it works amazingly well. So there you go. Okay, let me have a look at the um, the chat. Let the Create React team work it. Yeah, yeah. That that's my approach as well. Let the Create React app or Next.js team work it out and just use the final tooling. <laughs> I'm really glad I don't have to maintain the Webpack config myself anymore, because that is a lot of work. Like you're literally probably like in 2020, if you are building the custom Webpack config you probably have to have a separate person that is responsible for that on your team because because it is that complex. Uh, going from Webpack 3 to 4 wasn't too bad. Error messages were very useful. Yeah, I mean, they the migration doesn't, don't, like the migration path they have is very straightforward. It's just really, really complex. That's the problem. Like there's no, you know, it's not, it's not broken. It's not problematic. It's not hard is just complex and it probably will take you a lot of time to iron out all the errors you get but yeah i mean i think we'll never get rid of people who just keep hating on javascript because it's javascript like eh. they did promise to make it less complex well i mean the guide migration guide here is insane like the it's really detailed all the features are very well described all the major changes are Super detailed. This is probably one of the most detailed change logs I've seen in years for a tool. But anyway, continuing. We got uh, NPM Klee version 7.0. Finally, finally, we got new version of NPM. Has been in development for past two years, question mark, I think. Maybe less, maybe more. I don't, I don't honestly remember. I remember reading about the fact that they started working on NPM 7. I think it was like pre-GitHub acquisition for sure. Maybe even before that. And now we finally got it here. So if if I remember correctly, it still is not tagged as late, latest stable. Basically, you have to explicitly install it with npm install npm 7. It will be shipped with node 15, which is coming out next week. Uh, which is, yeah, basically something I'm quite excited about. And uh, exciting new features are basically workspaces. So we now have the workspaces support in npm. You no longer need yarn or pnpm or well any other npm fork or uh, npm alternative is better word uh to do that um the new uh, so there's basically completely rewritten from scratch algorithm of uh dependency resolution that is supposed to be better faster uh based on this is the basically the new model arborist that is the core of the npm and uh yeah, it now installs peer dependencies automatically, which is honestly a feature that I welcome quite uh, wholeheartedly because it always it always seemed weird to me that peer dependencies did not install automatically, even though you know you kind of need them anyway. Like, why would you not install them out of the box? But anyway, uh, so peer dependencies install automatically. This is a thing to keep in mind because normally it shouldn't break anything, but if you have some very special use case i guess where it might break things keep that in mind there's also package log v2 so the new package log that is now uh deterministic and allows you to do deterministic reproducible builds which is amazing because previous npm had problems with that <laughs> and it now supports yarn logs so you can actually use yarn log if you have one uh to run npm over that which is uh, kind of great there's also a bunch of breaking changes, um, uh, mostly related to the APIs and uh, NPX rewrites. I'm kind of curious 
read more about that. I haven't had time to dive into that, uh, but yeah. So we are gonna see how that develops. I am waiting for Node 15 and NPM 7 to become basically latest stable, so I can try them out. Uh, and I'm planning to migrate a couple of my own tools from, or I guess first test if NPM is actually on par or faster than Yarn. Like, I don't know, because Yarn has been acting really weird for me uh, lately. And uh, I, yes, I'm basically looking to migrate back to NPM purely in hopes it's gonna be more stable. So there we go. Anything interesting coming in Node 15? Well, one thing I'm interested in is, you know, the version, the um, V8 version that is updated because there's like a ton of uh, new features, including some VASM features that I'm looking forward to. Other than that, I honestly don't remember if there's anything like, uh, anything other super significant. I don't remember like on top of my head. So I think the, the most... Uh, so we got NPM. Yeah, so basically the most um, most awaited feature for me is V8 update with a bunch of new JavaScript features, essentially. So there you go. Right, continuing, we got uh, Cypress. Uh, so actually, I mean, I linked to the version 5.4.0, but there's actually also version 5.3.0, which was released the same week. So 5.3.0 makes uh, Firefox support is no longer the in beta. It's now stable and you can use it with Cypress. It works amazingly well. So if you're doing end-to-end -end testing and you need to test against Firefox, this is now the tool to use, in my opinion. And the 5.4.0 adds a way to prune cache. And uh, additionally, why my favorite feature is video recordings now have chapters. So basically, if you're... Video player supports chapters. You can actually jump in video between the each test as a chapter immediately, which is extremely handy. So again, if you're using uh, Cypress, do check it out. It's a super handy feature. There's also a bunch of other minor things like, you know, the side view, viewport support for different iPhones and a bunch of other presets. Okay, that's it for the Cypress. Now we got Tailwind CSS version 190 which um, allows you to, uh, so what is the highlights here? I honestly don't remember. Remembering about that when it came out and then I completely forget everything. <laughs> oh yes, uh, so it basically adds the new presets key to the Tailwind config, which basically allows you to base your um, theme on the existing presets, which is super handy because before that, uh, it was kind of hard to create your own themes and reuse configs, but now it's basically using presets. You can share the configs across your company projects or whatever, which is super cool. And uh, yeah, I think other things are not as notable, but uh, yeah, uh, again, you know, still I am, I think Tailwind is a godsend CSS framework, especially for someone like me who has no idea how CSS works because <laughs> it just makes so easy to style things in your front end is just incredible. And uh, yeah, having those features is super cool. Okay, and the last thing we got here is Babel version 7.12 uh, that adds support for TypeScript 4.1 and strings as import export names and classic static blocks. Uh, most of that is pretty self-descriptive. I think the import export string names is a painful feature, especially considering the examples they give. You can now export things as emojis Please don't do that. <laughs> this looks terrible, to be honest. But not, yes, I mean, essentially you can use strings as export names now. I don't know what the use cases for this are, but I guess they exist. I mean, otherwise there wouldn't be a thing, right? So uh, there you go. Okay. 
Uh, that's it for leases. Now we're coming to the libs and demos. We don't really have that many of them here today. Uh, the first one being HTML, CSS tutorial. So this is a pretty nice short-ish tutorial that is very basic. So this is like if you have any friends who want to learn HTML and CSS, this is actually a really good intro. Uh, so just send them this repo and they, if they go through it, they will at least be able to create a very basic HTML page with some CSS styling. So that there we like, that's, that's literally all it is. Let me have a look at the chats. Uh, I love Tailwind, absolutely love Tailwind as well. Uh, Tailwind is great, but I use Chakra UI, which is based upon it, but uses emotion. Oh, interesting. I don't think I've, I don't, I don't remember if I heard about Chakra UI. Chakra UI, let me have a look. Uh, that looks a lot like Tailwind. <laughs> uh, okay, so right, can you, Okay, does it allow you to use the actual like Tailwind classes? Like this looks nice, but the like the, the cool thing about Tailwind is the fact that you can quickly use Tailwind classes to style whatever you want according to your design that you get from the design team, right? And this seems like it's uh, basically pre-designed, which again, you know, it has its use cases obviously, but it's not as flexible as a Tailwind itself. I think, yeah, I think we had it in BXJS Weekly at some point. Gonna use emojis all the time now, submitting PRs. Oh no, <laughs> you evil, evil person. Oh no. Um, no, his design system is based on theirs. It's very easy to reverse. Okay, so it's basically you get the pretty fine style and you have to tweak it. Like this is the thing about the Tailwind is basically you don't have the pre-designed style and you can just build whatever you want. This is what makes it so powerful. And this is why I really love working with it. Because if you have some very specific components, you can just build them out from classes in place without having to redesign the core or whatever, you know? And this is, I think, this is what basically sold me on it. Very flexible compared to the other libraries like Material. I think, like, if, if it's based on uh, Stalewind, or the uh, Stalewind? <laughs> Somebody needs to make a Stalewind framework now. Yeah, if it's based on Tailwind, then I'm not surprised it's flexible. Like, yeah, this seems like a lot like a Tailwind config, basically. But again, you know, I guess it's just different use cases, basically. Anyway, continuing, next thing we got here is a chart. This is an ASCII chart port to Deno. So if you're using Deno and you wanted to do the um, fancy console ASCII charts, you can now do that. Nothing super... You know, it's not too different from ASCII charts, basically just a port for Deno and TypeScript seems to be working perfectly fine. Uh, fork Tailwind and rename it. <laughs> you want me to fork it and just rename it as Tailwind and and never update, right? So it should be Tailwind and it's like one of the older versions of Tailwind that is never updated. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. <laughs> anyway, continuing, we got self-edit. Um, seriously hacky editor for text. So, uh, yeah, this one is, I don't even know how to describe it. So the idea is that it's a URL that includes the code, source code for editor, as well as the data for whatever you edited this, right? And then if you copy and paste it, it will actually be the exact editor that you've changed which is like, um, it's, it's a bit crazy, but yes, there's like the source code here, the actual source code that is then gets encoded into this base64 URL. And it's a really nice case study that shows you how crazy the URLs can be. Um, but yeah, it's basically, you know, if you copy that, paste it here, run it, there you go, there's your editor. 
it actually supports markdown so you can uh you can you know do anything you want here and there's the heading there's the lists there's whatever the hell you want and uh it literally changes the url and you can uh, no what what did i do i oh, know i broke it i think yep and then you can copy it and if you paste it it's going to be the your change thing which is like again this thing is bonkers if you're curious as to how it was made have a look at the self-edit html and you will uh, basically find out <laughs> Okay, continue, we got Lucky Sheets. This is an online spreadsheet like Excel that is powerful, simple to configure and completely open source. So essentially the JavaScript re-implementation of spreadsheets with a whole ton of features, like the, the amount of features is quite mind-blowing, including undo, redo and all that kind of stuff and a ton of formulas, charts, pivot tables, whatever you can imagine is most likely here so if you are looking for something like that do check it out it actually looks quite nice next thing we got here is detect gpu a super tiny library that basically allows you to classify gpu based on their 3d rendering benchmark score allowing you to figure out what kind of uh, features you will progressively enable to uh, retain the nice performance yeah, again, you know, this probably has a very limited use cases, but uh, it's kind of nice that it exists. Basically allows you to determine the um, performance of the user's machine and figure out if you want to load some fancy animations or WebGL stuff or not. And also tells you if the you're running on a mobile GPU or not, uh, which is, again, it's probably very limited use cases, but uh, kind of cool that it exists. Okay. Next thing we got here is Architect, a simplest, most powerful way to build serverless application. Uh, so this is another serverless framework that is completely open source and allows you to build serverless apps in a pretty straightforward way, actually. So it's like one of the simpler frameworks I've seen out there because those serverless frameworks tend to be incredibly complicated and it's always really hard to say what the hell is going on. This one is very nicely designed, uh, has very nice docs and uh, seems to be very easy to use. So if you're interested in serverless, do check this one out. Maybe this is exactly what you were looking for. Right, next thing we got here is Essentia.js. This is a JavaScript library for music and audio analysis and processing powered by WebAssembly. So essentially it's a DSP library that is compiled from C and C++ into WebAssembly and you can uh, just use it to do the uh, DSP, yeah, and uh, there is like a whole ton of things and uh, a whole ton of different features that it has. It seems incredibly powerful for, uh, again, you know, something that you would have in a browser, and uh, it's kind of cool. Have you tried Pulumi? Uh, I think I've heard about it. I mean, I'm not that much into my into serverless myself. Um, Okay, yeah, I've, I remember reading about that, but I have not tried it. So I typically go for Terraform, which is similar to Pulumi as far as I understand. Uh, AWS CDK, I, uh, Amazon Web Services CDK. So this is something that I have not... Right, I remember reading about that, but I basically opted for Terraform because it was uh, essentially platform agnostic and allowed me to scaffold not just on... Uh, Terra, uh, sorry, not just on Amazon, but if we needed to like Google Cloud or whatever. Uh, so yeah. Mscripten, is Mscripten still a thing? Yes, Mscripten is still very much a thing. It's still 
is used quite heavily for, I mean, this basically it's evolved from compiling C, C++ into the ASM.js to WebAssembly, and now it's essentially you can just use it to compile stuff to uh, uh, WebAssembly, right? So the new ASM. Um, no Terraform is declarative. You don't write the actual code with Pulumi and AVSDK. You write TypeScript. But, I mean, it's like, do you really need to write code to describe your infrastructure? That's the question. Like, I, I, I looked at the Pulumi and I seen like, yeah, okay, you can write it in TypeScript, JavaScript, Golang, whatever, Python. But why? Like, because Terraform, in my opinion, does. Well, maybe not. Every, maybe our case is not complex enough, but it does like ninety-nine percent of things you want to do, and uh, different way of thinking about things. And maybe, maybe, but you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I personally think Terraform is perfectly fine enough, and I actually like declarative way of defining your infrastructure more than code because it's just easier to reason about. Maybe I just haven't used Pulumi and it just didn't click for me. Maybe this is why I'm saying that. Maybe Pulumi actually makes more sense, or you know, the infrastructure as code makes more sense than declarative, uh, I guess, config declarations or something like that. The Terraform does, but again, Terraform is not strictly de declare. Like it's still you still can code some stuff, right? So there's still like operations that you can execute, optioning and so on and so forth. Uh, Terraform is awesome. Yes, Terraform is absolutely awesome. And I honestly, I don't know if I would ever use Amazon Web Services without Terraform because I find the Amazon Web Services UI to be abysmal and I have no idea how anyone can work with this stuff without Terraform. Uh, been trying to decide what path to go down, iOS dev or backend dev. Uh, like, pick whatever you like more. Don't decide on market because... This is something you're going to be doing for next 10, 20 years. Like, do, do you really want to get stuck with whatever market dictates right now? Or do you want to learn something that you enjoy, become an expert in it and just keep working for, you know, rest of your life, basically. Don't decide on the market, please. Just pick whatever you enjoy more. Anyway, continuing the last thing we got here is unfortunately not open source as far as, far as I can tell, but it's... Uh, it's a WebGL sculpting tool that works in your browser that is really damn impressive. It's a real shame it's not open source, but this is like a full-on sculpting tool in the browser that you can just, you know, use. And uh, there's like brushes and different things that you can do and textures. And, and it's just insane. I never thought you could do something like this in a browser, which is just crazy. And uh, yeah. Just give it a shot. Again, super unfortunate that it's not open source, but maybe the author will open source it at some point. But it is a really, really cool demo of what you can do nowadays with WebGL and a browser. What am I creating? I have no idea what am I creating. This looks terrible. <laughs> I am not, uh, like, I am terrible in, so in all ways of, you know, artistic tools and, uh, yeah. Stanford released 2020 lectures on Swift using MVVC. Uh, I mean, Swift is a really cool language. I haven't used it too much, but uh, my experience with it was quite positive. Like, especially after, like, I I, <laughs> I still remember the dread and uh, pain of using Objective-C to code uh, iOS apps back in 2009 or whatever was it. It was like, Objective-C is just a painful language. I never want to touch it again. <laughs> 
Uh, Swift is a lot better in that way. Um, hey, Mihail, welcome to the stream. In the previous video about stencil, you should have done base URL dots to for serve to work. Oh, I see. Okay, thank you for the uh, thank you for the notes. That's uh, I should try it next time. So basically, the thing is that I've been uh, getting some comments, people saying that hey, you did a stream on web components, but stencil is not really web components. So I'm thinking about doing another stream and just doing the uh, repeating the web app we built with stencil, but uh, doing it without. Uh, using any framework, so just plain vanilla JavaScript without actually using any bundlers at all. So we're gonna try and do that and see how can you actually build stuff for web in 2020 without bundlers with just uh, ES modules, web components, and uh, some vanilla JavaScript. And we'll, we'll see how far this will get us and how good the experience is compared to using a full-fledged framework and how how much will we suffer. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing this. I'm just digging a hole in it basically at this point. I think you can put at least 5k for this piece of art. <laughs> Do you want to buy one? I mean, I, I can just uh I can 3D print it. There you go. So you can export it. This is also a really cool feature actually. You can export this thing into a uh... why why yes. Oh, it's creating zip. Uh so you can literally export this 3D model and uh open a website that will 3D print it for you. Looks like something from Doom. Well, thank you. You know what? That, like Doom has a really good designs for monsters. I don't think I'm quite as good as that, but uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Oh my God. What am I? Oh, actually show faces. Okay, cool. Anyway, that was Sculpt.js. Um, this is all for Libs and Demos. Last thing I got here for today is this super cool uh, research project from uh, EU funded... Um, I, like, I guess it's a university or sort of, yeah, I mean, anyway, it's a EU funded website slash demo that is titled How Normal I Am. And it's a really cool walkthrough that basically um, shows you, first of all, it shows you what the AI or I guess machine learning algorithms, the modern one, can deduce from just lock, looking at you through your web camera or just looking at you as a photo. And second of all, it shows you how much machine learning you can run in a modern browser because all the, all, all the things that it shows you and it does to you, it actually does in the browser window right there in place and doesn't actually share anything with any third parties. If you have a webcam, I would encourage you to just go on this website, agree to the terms, start the show and see what it tells you about you because it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's basically all I have to say about that. Uh, if you want to try it, give it a shot. Again, it's, it's a really, really cool demo. Okay. Uh, that's actually it from my side. So if you guys have any questions or suggestions, now is the time to throw them into the chat. Again, as usual, you can find all the links on bxjs.dev website or on GitHub. The link is in the description. Uh, if you have any questions, suggestions, now is the time to throw them into the chat or you can leave them in, as a comment to the video on YouTube. Uh, the VOD will be available immediately after the stream. You can join our Discord if you want to chat about any of that. If, uh, you know, we are no longer live or just want to talk about JavaScript, uh, get any help or talk about video games as well. We do that sometimes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter for some retweets of JavaScript stuff or my shitposting. And uh, I guess that about covers it. Oh, yeah, there is a Telegram channel where I collect all the links over the week because some of them don't really make it to the podcast because I filter them out. So if you're interested in unfiltered stream, do uh, follow that. 
And uh, yeah, that's basically it. How about some more Docker stuff or infra in general? I guess we could do that. Like we could probably do a Terraform Docker exoframe video showing how to quickly set up uh, a VM or something like this, or like a set of VMs and deploy stuff on them. Because I probably need to write like, <laughs> the thing is I have, a, I have my own like demo server where I publish stuff to write. And occasionally I just migrate from one hoster to another because it becomes cheaper. And every time I have to do it manually, it just annoys me to no extent. So probably at this point I should write some sort of a Terraform or Ansible script or something that would do it for me. So uh, that might be a good idea. So maybe at some point we'll do that. Are you using ECS? No, I'm not using Amazon myself uh, because it's just expensive. Like in my opinion, Amazon Web Services are way more expensive than just about any other hosting platform you can get unless you optimize specifically for it, which in my case is not the case. Uh, right now I'm hosting myself at Hetzner and uh, Hetzner.de, please. Because it's literally like if you go for their cloud offerings, you can get, uh, so I'm paying five bucks, 60, so, okay, six euro essentially for four gigs of RAM, 40 gigs of NVMe SSD and two virtual CPUs, which is more than enough for my like 10 demos that I'm running. So I don't want to pay more for Amazon Web Services. I don't want to calculate my traffic load or whatever. I just want to pay like fixed six bucks per month and just forget about it basically. <laughs> And with these prices, I mean, especially because I don't care much about regions or any other stuff because my demos are not sensitive to that stuff, you know, I just host in Germany and that's fine for me. This is like the perfect offering. So, uh, yeah. If you're not, yeah, that's the thing, right? So Amazon Web Services, in my opinion, makes sense only if you tailor your product around their offerings, such as, I don't know, SQS, mail services or whatever. So yeah, I basically just, you know, I don't use any of that right now. So it's like my demos work perfectly fine on a tiny, tiny VM. Hey, Donna, welcome to the stream. Uh, we are unfortunately already wrapping up. <laughs> uh, see if you don't have dead allocation. Yeah, so like the, uh, you know, if you don't read regions, you don't really need stuff like Amazon Web Services. You don't need stuff like Cloudflare. You don't need content delivery networks because in my case, demos are very small, very static. Like I have my my amazing website that is literally just one index HTML. Like <laughs> I don't need Amazon to serve that. It's just like, it's perfectly fine to have a crappy VM doing this. Um, anyway, um, any more questions, suggestions or things you want to ask guys? Um, a G GDPR, US Shield. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have any cookies here. Like that's the thing. I don't want to conform to GDPR or whatever. It's just too much pain in the ass. So I just don't insert any tracking cookies or whatever, right? So I can collect anonymous uh, logging from my server because that is perfectly compliant with GDPR and you don't need consent for that. I'm fine with that. I don't really care knowing about my demography and you know who looks at my crappy three lines of text on my website. <laughs> it's like, I'm okay without doing that. <laughs> Okay, um, I'll give you a couple more minutes to ask uh, any questions or, you know, throw in your demos if you have any. If not, uh, let's just wrap it up here and go have an awesome rest of the weekend. And I guess I want to eat something because I'm getting a bit pecky. Right, um, doesn't seem like we have any more questions or suggestions. So thank you guys very much for watching. Thank you for your continued support. 
Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, again, join our Discord if you want to discuss any of that or share your own libraries. We'll be more than happy to cover them here. Yeah, that's basically it from my side. Thank you very much for watching. Have an awesome rest of the weekend or rest of the week if you're watching the video of this. And I see you on Wednesday for a vanilla JavaScript ES modules web component stream.